Good morning. It's good to be together today. And as has been said, we appreciate everyone's presence here, especially all of you that are visiting with us. We count you our honored guests this morning. We invite you back anytime you can be here. And I appreciate Brother Michael praying on my behalf. We certainly desire to uh, teach scriptural, scripturally sound things and things that will edify you. And I hope that uh, that you'll that you can say that when we finish this morning. Heard a story um, a while back that was really interesting to me and moving to me about a man that moved to Houston, the Houston area, and he was a preacher and um, didn't say what his background was or what took him there or why, but um, I suppose he was just relocating to do um, work for whatever church he was involved with. But this man recounted a story that happened to him shortly after he moved to the Houston area, and he was going to take a bus ride to downtown Houston. And so he got on the bus and paid his fare and um, went to his seat. When he sat down, he was counting through his change, and he realized that the bus driver had given him a quarter too much change. I'm sure that's happened to you in a department store or some other retail environment before where you got too much change, and you think about the reactions that people have in those situations. But this preacher sat down, and he, he pondered that, and he said, well, I need to give that, that quarter back. I need to, you know, it wouldn't be right to keep it. And then he sort of the the little devil on the other shoulder started talking to him. He said, ah, oh, it's just a quarter. I'll, it's more hassle than it's worth. I'll stick it in my pocket and keep it. And that bus company makes too much money anyway, so they won't even notice it's missing. And he just kind of, as he was taking his bus ride, just kind of had that war within himself what to do with that. So he takes a bus ride, and he gets to his destination, and he starts to get off the bus. And as he steps close to the door, he turns around and hands that quarter back to the bus driver. And he said, well, you gave me too much change. This quarter belongs to you. And the bus driver kind of smiled at him, and he said, uh, aren't you the new preacher in town? And that guy said, yeah, I am. And he said, well, I've been, it's really been on my mind lately to find a place to worship. He said, I know things are not right in my life, and uh, I just know that I need to be doing something different. I knew you were a preacher, and I gave you that quarter on purpose, and I wanted to see your reaction to that. I'll see you at church on Sunday. And... This preacher, obviously, made an impact on him as he stepped off the bus. He says that he grabbed the nearest light pole and about fainted. And he said, God, I just about sold your son for a quarter. And that was a very moving story to me. And it got me to thinking about the little things in life. And that's what I want to talk about this morning, the little things. How we view the little things that happen to us on a daily basis. How God views the little things that happen in our life and our responses to those things. And I think there's big lessons to be found in all those various little things. And I hope that uh, you find the study interesting and beneficial this morning as well. As I said, it was a very uh, moving story for me. And as I read that and his reaction to that, my mind kind of went back to all those times in life where I could think about something similar happening to myself and how I reacted in those situations and um, maybe never even thought about the results of those decisions. You know, you think about... Um, the result of his decision obviously ended up being positive, but the potential result, if he wouldn't have gave that quarterback, he just affected a man that might have said, I'm not going to ever set foot in the church. This guy calls himself a man of God, and uh, he kept a quarter, you know, so it's uh, if he can't be honest about a quarter, why would I attend church or, you know, his church specifically or maybe even church in general? It might, maybe it impacted his view on religion in general. And many times I think, we go about life and make decisions and have thoughts and all the things that we do, and we don't give thought to the outcome of those decisions. And I think the scriptures teach us lessons about this. And my mind went to 
a story that we read about that's depicted in this picture about a widow woman that we read about in the Gospels in Mark chapter 12. And I'd like to use her story this morning as we think about um, the widow that we read about there and think about what kind of lessons we can learn in life. Mark chapter 12 and verse number 41, it says, Jesus set over against the treasury and behold how the people cast money into the treasury and many that were rich cast in much. And there came a certain poor widow, and she threw in two mites, which make a farthing. And he called unto him his disciples, and saith unto them, Verily I say unto you, that this poor widow hath cast more in than all they which have cast into the treasury. For all they did cast in of their abundance, but she of her want did cast in all that she had, even all her living. I think about this story a lot, about this widow. We read it frequently. We don't have a lot of information about her. This is basically it. Um, it's it's also, um, this account's also given in, in Luke's gospel, uh, but we don't have a lot of information about it. And it's, to me, it's a story that sort of forces some self-reflection. Um, you know, you think about the event that occurs here, and I want to dive into it just a little bit. I think there's three specific lessons that we can learn from this widow this morning. And as we think about her, just, you know, kind of think back to the preacher and the decisions that he made. Uh, and, and how he handled that situation. And I think these lessons will make us uh, better servants and better Christians if we'll pay attention to them. Number one is that there are no little people with God. I'm already having technology issues. I probably should have spoke on anger management this morning because if this gives me problems again, I'm going to throw something. But There are no little people with God. You know, I, w- I've, I wondered as I was thinking about this, you think about the scene where Jesus and his disciples were uh, sitting there and watching people. It says Jesus was observing people and how they uh, cast money into the treasury. And then he sees this woman. I, I kind of wonder what people thought about this woman or if they thought about her at all. You know, she obviously had, um, you know, even if it wasn't reflected in her appearance, she was obviously very poor. I suppose it probably was reflected in her appearance. And if you think just about how society behaves in general, you know, I wonder if people even gave this woman a second thought before Jesus called attention to her. I wonder if she even, what she viewed herself as, you know, what, what did she view her own self-worth as? You know, I suspect that she probably, um, given that how Jesus used her as an example here, I suspect that she probably, you know, viewed herself as a very lowly person, I I suspect she probably viewed the the offering that she was given as not enough or inadequate offering. And you just, you try to picture what's in her heart as she does this in the fact that Jesus called attention to that. I suppose it's human nature, but we tend to want to categorize people. You know, have you ever just thought about how much we as a society categorize people? You know, you can't fill out any kind of legal paperwork or documentation without doing some sort of categorization. They want to know your race. They want to know your ethnicity. They want you to give whatever information you can and are willing to about your income and your financial status. They want to know your background. They want to know your criminal history. They want to know everything. And we want to lump people into these groups in society. There's a lot of conversation in politics and things like that. The different Social classes, the different races, all the problems and tensions that are going on in all those areas. It's going to decide the next election. You know, do people want a socialist society? Do people want a capitalist society? You know, is it, are, the pro, are the decisions being made being made based on race? 
Are they being made based on our country and the citizens in that? And we want to categorize people. And, you know, as you read through the scriptures, that doesn't exist. I mean, God is not okay with that. He never talks about being okay with categorizing people. He never talks about, um, you know, putting labels on people and things like that. In fact, he teach, it teaches the opposite. And certainly there's um, generalizations made about people, but I think we can learn from this widow that there are no little people with God. And I think it's an important lesson as we think about how we look at other people. And I think it's an important lesson for the times in life where we struggle with the value that we're adding to our families, to society, to the church, that we need to understand that there's value in every single person. And that's how God looks at people. There are no little people with God. In Matthew chapter 10 and verse number 29, he says, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father, but even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. If you read through the scriptures about how God views human life, it's obvious that he puts tremendous value in that. It's kind of even stupid to say it. But he places tremendous value on human life. And in our society, again, it's, that's not a popular thing to do. We want to look at animals and animal rights and all those other things. And I don't want it to be political in any way, but we've got to understand the value that God places on human life. And he doesn't make these other categorizations that we make. He doesn't see race. He doesn't see financial status. He doesn't see gender from that perspective and think one's better than the other. There's value in everything. And we read about all these metaphors in the scriptures about nature and how God set all these things in motion with nature and all these details that he oversees in nature. And he does all those things, but he cares about you far more. There are no little people with God. He places tremendous value on each life. And sometimes it's hard for us to realize that as we think about how we view other people. And sometimes it's really hard for us to think about ourselves in that way. There's a good passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 that says, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Certainly a lesson on humility and um, you know, looking at ourselves as we bring the value to our lives. And he's teaching a lesson on that. But this is a comforting verse to me, especially when I think about politics and academia and all the different people and how they view Christianity these days. This verse, verse brings me a lot of comfort in that, knowing that, that God doesn't want you to be a Ph.D. to know him, that he doesn't care how many degrees or letters you have behind your name to matter to him. And the scriptures say that he chose and, and it is a design by design. He chose a simple way. He chose simple things, a simple plan. The simple things in life are what matter to God. We talk a lot about the, the church and the body of the church and how it's equated to in the scriptures to the physical body, to the human body and all the members of that and all the all of the people. Those are there. Those ver- those passages are there for a reason. 
Individual members make up an overall body, and every one of them matters. And we talk about that. You know, if you stump your big toe, it affects your entire body. If you have a toothache, it doesn't matter the size of the, of the member. The scriptures are clear on that. We get carried away and caught up in wanting to be somebody and wanting to have titles at our jobs and wanting people to be proud of the things that we do and the things that we say. And God just wants us to follow Him. He doesn't care about all those other things. Think about Moses. You know, we look back sort of through the lens of the Scriptures at Moses, and, and we don't look at Moses as a nobody. We look at Moses as a, as a great hero of faith and all the things that he accomplished. Remember the time when he was called to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt and how he told God, you know, that he wasn't an eloquent speaker. He didn't know what to say. He's like, I wasn't in the past. I hadn't been since you talked to me. You picked the wrong guy. And certainly you can make an argument that that's more of an excuse than it was him, uh, you know, thinking lowly of himself. But, you know, he didn't want to do it. And I think he really believed he wasn't the right guy for the job. God knew different. God had a plan for him. He said, I'm slow of speech. I'm slow of tongue. I don't know what to say. God didn't care. God knew it wasn't Moses that was going to be taking care of things. But Moses didn't understand that yet. I think a lot of times we use our own standards to evaluate people and classify people versus using God's standards. And I think if we change our mindset on that and use use God's standards, it will help us understand things better. We'll understand that the value given by God is not a value that's defined by some man or some degree plan or some job title. In Acts chapter 10... You might remember Peter at the house of Cornelius, the really the the first big time, or the you know the the first time that um, that the Gentiles were really welcomed into the kingdom. And I know there's some debate on if Gentiles were part of the church before this or whatever, but you you know you think about the story that goes on there and the vision that Peter saw, the dream that Peter had, and how. Even Peter, in some of the events that you read about in the book of Acts, and the, the, the barriers between the Jews and the Gentiles, and the classifications put there. And I think Peter really came to a realization here, we read about here. He opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Now he's not talking about race or social status or anything here. He's talking about you know acceptance with God. He's talking about being saved. And certainly that is ultimately the the thing that matters the most. But he said, God shows no partiality. And, you know, it's kind of ironic to me that that he ultimately simplifies it here. And he says, fear God and do what's right with him. And it echoes so many of the other scriptures. Fear God and keep his commandments. It's the whole duty of man, like the wise man said. And so really that should be the measuring stick for us as well. We should just strive to fear God and do what he's asked us to do. That's, that's what pleases God. So I hope we can understand that God doesn't have little people. You know, you think about all the, all the various people in the scriptures that he used in, the, in roles that he had and, and what they were before and what they did for God. And it's clear to me. Number two is that little thoughts and little decisions have big results. And... You know, I think back to our widow and the thought process we don't know a lot about. We don't know a lot about how she came to the decision that she, she should give everything that she had, that she should give all of her money. 
Um, but it's interesting to really think about think about her heart here. And we don't, like I said, we don't know a lot of a lot about that. And often we, oftentimes, I think we underestimate um, the impact of some of those decisions that we make. You know, the, how how a little thought can turn into something big. How a little decision that we make can have huge ramifications. And I think if we would, I think if we're honest, if we would give more thought to that and thought to the outcome of those decisions, that we might make decisions um, a little bit different. But the impact of that one decision she made, you think about that. The master used her as an example. We don't even, as far as we know, we, you know, she may have never known about that. She probably did never know about that. But, you know, it was used as an example there specifically, and then it's recorded for us. And how many people has that impacted through the ages just because of one decision she made? And certainly it might have been the same account given and, and talked about if she had made another kind of decision. But... The decisions that we make, and I'm convinced if we would really give thought to the impact of decisions that we make and the things that we say and the things that we do, that we would do a better job. James talks a lot about this. In chapter 4 and verse 17, he says, So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it for him that is sin. We talk about this verse a lot in the context of neglecting our duties, not doing the things that we're supposed to do for God. And that certainly applies. I think it works in the context of what we're talking about this morning as well. You know, how much do we actually, how much do we actually live our lives by this, by this verse? Do we, do we think about this when we make a decision? If I know the decision that I'm making is against God's will, do I think about that being sinful? Do I think about that having an impact? And I think really, as we think about all these little decisions when we look at our lives, they really kind of become the sum total of all those decisions. You know, big decisions don't happen every day in our lives. How many big decisions do we make in life? You know, where we're going to go to school, who we're going to marry, when we're going to have kids, am I going to take that job or not? I mean, you got a handful of big decisions in your life. You've got thousands of decisions that you make on a weekly basis that are decisions that we wouldn't classify as big. And that's what our lives really consist of. What do we do with those little decisions that we make in life? Think about all the worldly problems that are caused by little decisions. This isn't an exhaustive list, but I was just trying to jot down a few things that I could think about. But you think about, you hear drug addicts and how they talk about how they became addicted to drugs. And oftentimes it was one, it was one hit. It was one, and I don't know all the terminology on all that stuff, so if you know it, I would be asking questions of why you do. But, you know, you, you, you try cocaine one time or you try meth one time or, you, or one shot of heroin or whatever it is, and then they're hooked. And then they spend a lifetime battling that. And some of them never make it out, and some of them do. And it's just it, one little decision wrecks somebody's life, wrecks multiple people's life. It's never just the one somebody. Or you think about people that struggle with finances. You know, they they made that one decision to get to say yes to all those guys sitting in the JBK wanting to give you a free T-shirt if you'll sign up for their credit card. And you get that $5,000 credit card in college and then you, you know, that turns into TVs and Xboxes and Playstations and all that kind of stuff. And you, then you try to figure out how you're going to pay that back. And then 5000 turns into twenty, and twenty turns into 100 and. 90, however many percent of Americans have $30,000 in credit card debt or more, whatever the number is. And they spend their whole lives battling that. Think about how many families are turned upside down. Now, we probably wouldn't call those little decisions, but maybe at the time it was. 
one decision to cheat or one decision to, you know, do something against what your parents tell you to do and how families are ruined and torn apart because of that. Think about lives. Physical lives are lost because of decisions. We went to high school with a girl that was killed in a car wreck. Um, She was driving home from a school event and reached down to do something with her CD player or stereo and, you know, it caused her to to yank on the wheel a little bit. She hit a bar ditch and ran off and hit a culvert and flipped her car, and she was dead before anybody was on the scene. They did a, She was a golfer. They did a memorial golf tournament for her for 20 years to raise money for scholarships so that people wouldn't forget her. And her family's never been the same because of one little decision. In that case, it wasn't even something that is viewed as malicious. It was just she just made a bad decision. You know, today's world, that would be sending a text or doing whatever we're doing on our phones or texting while we're driving and all that. But people's lives are ruined. And all that matters, but think about spiritual decisions that we make. You hear about somebody that's a faithful member of the church, and then they start skipping an assembly here or there for whatever reasons. And pretty soon that turns into multiple assemblies, and before long they're not coming to church at all, and before long they couldn't care less. Or think about how we get where we're not praying and studying and doing things that we know are things that we should be doing and how that leads to a a lack of faith or a weaker faith. And when when we don't do those things, all of a sudden we're apathetic to sin and we're apathetic to things that are going on with the church and the things that we should be doing. Sometimes we become desensitized to small sins. We sweep the small ones under the rug and brush them aside because they're not a big deal. And it's always the small sins that snowball and turn into big sins. It's the same way as making all the other decisions in life. It starts small. Or we start to value the things of this world more than, the, than godly things. And before long, we value them so much that we, we don't care at all about the church. Now, the good thing is that while all these negative impacts can happen from small decisions, so can positive impacts. You think about that. Just like a little decision can can you know wreck lives and cause drug addictions you know little decisions can can give you good health you hear people talk about somebody has massive weight loss or something like that they say well I, you know it was extreme for a while but then i made just little little daily decisions that add up over time same with finances you know i got a little discipline in my life and i made little decisions to not give in every time i wanted that instant gratification and I slept on it. And when I woke up the next morning, I realized I didn't need that. And so I put that money in a savings account instead of going and buying the TV. The same, same way works for all this. Little decisions unite families. You know, instead of making that decision, make a decision to sit down and eat dinner together every night. And spend time together. Or, you know, turn the TV off when the kids want to go play catch and do those things. As much as we don't want to after it's been a long day. Little decisions matter, and little decisions matter spiritually as well. Think about all the things that you hear about people, you know, making a commitment to come to church regularly and how that becomes a habit for your family. But we don't think about the impact of that. We don't think about, I have three kids that could grow up, and then that could make an impact in their life. And because we made that a habit for them, that becomes a habit for their families. And then before you know it, three or four generations go by and somebody's doing a lesson on the hundreds and hundreds of people that were impacted because somebody made a decision to come to church. Little decisions matter. Little decisions are everything. Little faith, a little study, your faith grows and builds and 
blossoms. All these things matter. And I hope we'll understand that this morning. I saw a quote that I thought was very um, good and very timely and very relevant for what we're talking about. It said, the beginnings of unfaithfulness are always the little things that we think will make no difference. No one was ever called of God to a high position who did not lay the foundation of that call in courageous faithfulness to the small details of life. But whether our position be high or low, it is required of a steward that he be faithful. Isn't that true? The beginnings of unfaithfulness are always the little things that we don't think will matter. We always want to brush it aside and make an excuse for the little things. And that's when it snowballs. James talks a lot about these little decisions. We've already read the one verse. He talks a lot about, um, you know, how, how little things matter in chapter 3. He, specifically here, he says, talking about the tongue, he says, Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasteth great things. Behold, how great a matter a little fire kindleth. I don't want to focus on the tongue part of this. We have a lot of, you know, we do a lot of studies on taming the tongue and all the various things that we can mess up with our speech. But I like the, I like how he equates it to building a fire here. Most of, most guys here at least can can uh, sympathize and understand this because we're pyromaniacs. But if you've ever tried to build any kind of fire in your fireplace or campfire or whatever, when you first start doing that, it's incredibly frustrating. You know, you start piling the logs on and you chunk some matches out or whatever, and you over time you you start to learn the the physics with that, the airflow and all that stuff. But it always starts with something little. And he talks about kindling here. So you always get, you know, the little twigs and sticks and the little pieces of dry broken wood or whatever. And you get it started with that. And then before long, you have your raging fire. You know, think about all the various wildfires you hear about. California's struggling with some again right now. I haven't followed that closely enough to know if they've determined a cause or whatever yet. But oftentimes when you hear about one of those big forest fires or whatever that, Ultimately, they figure out somebody flicked a cigarette out the window or uh, had a campfire out in a national park and didn't put it out. And, you know, the, the coal stayed hot. And before long, it hit a tree and then it hit multiple trees. And then it was raging across thousands and thousands of acres. We built a, the other Westbrooks came to our house one time and we camped out in the backyard and we built a fire at the fire pit and uh, roasted marshmallows and sit around the fire and everything. And we got done with that, and I chunked some water on it. And Jackson had been uh, in Boy Scouts for a few years now, and he'd learned, I guess, the proper way to put a fire out. And he wasn't impressed with my method in putting the fire out. And I kind of laughed and assured him that it'd be okay and everything. But, you know, when you think about that, there's a reason they teach him the proper way to put out a fire. Because somebody somewhere knows that a forest went ablaze because somebody didn't properly put out a fire. And such a small little decision causes... Acres and acres and acres of damage. It's a good example. James, in that same chapter, talks about the, the, you know, the size of a big ship and how, how the little rudder directs the entire direction of the ship and how the little things make such a big difference and, and really steer the course of our life in many ways. As I was thinking about this, I was also thinking about somebody that we, that we talk about a lot. Um, you know, when it comes to religion, even not just talking about decision-making or thoughts and that kind of things. When it comes to religion, don't, isn't it true that we kind of want big things with our religion as well? And I was thinking about that, and you think about Naaman and how he, he had heard about the prophet of God in the area that could cure him of his leprosy. And 
So he was told to go dip in the River Jordan and all that, but it wasn't okay with him. Remember his response to that? Behold, I thought he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Naaman had all these preconceived ideas of how he wanted to be cured of his leprosy, you know, and he wanted these big things. We're not okay with the little things in religion. You know, we want to... We think we want to know everything about the book of Revelation, and we think we need to know all the Greek and Hebrew words and all, you know, study all the obscure and debate all the obscure topics. And there's a place for all that. But the little things are what matter. Think about all these people. Um, you know, I just sort of went through my head and did a quick kind of Rolodex list of the people that we talk about a lot. All these people are people that are preached on multiple times a year. And think about how really those are kind of little decisions that were made in all those cases. Certainly there were some big things that happened too. But, you know, you think about all the little decisions that were made and how the impact of those. You know, I think about Uzzah and all, all he did was reach up to stop the ark from falling off the cart. Is it that big a deal? It is to God. And I think about the many, many decisions that I've made and make in my life that are far worse than the things that these people did. And I wonder how God viewed those things. Let's focus on that. Let's understand that little decisions have a big impact. And I think the better we do at that, the better job we'll do at serving Him. Number three is that little things matter in faith. A little faith and a little bit of good work make huge differences. And I think sometimes we pause in our service or pause in doing the things that we know we need to do because we don't see that it's a big impact. And I think we don't see that, we don't understand the fact that there's a cumulative effect with that. We don't understand the fact that if each member here makes a little decision, that the cumulative effect of that is far greater than the sum of the parts. And we don't do a good job of that. And I think if we'll understand that, we'll be better off. The church will be better off. Our community will be better off. When you think back to our widow, I think about how Jesus described that situation and how he said she gave everything. You know, and I got to thinking about that. What was he talking about when he said she gave everything? Was, it, was he talking about her money? He, she gave all her money? I think she certainly did give all of her money. But was he talking about attitude, you know, just her thought process and giving? I mean, was he restricting it to the contribution? I don't think he was. I think he was talking about a heart condition with her. And I think he was saying she gave her heart. And I think at the end of the day, if your heart is not in the right place, you're not going to give everything in the other areas. You know, think about contribution specifically. We we read the verses. Be a cheerful giver. You should give as you purposed in your heart. You know, give without doing it grudgingly. All those things. If your heart's not in the right place, you're not going to do any of those things. And that's just how it is. Bible says that where your where your treasure is, there's where your heart's going to be. And I think about her in that, and I just wonder, you know, how if, if the disciples understood that lesson. You know, did they think about that as a lesson in, in contribution, or did they think about that as a lesson in the heart? He said she cast in everything she had, even all her living. I think if we'll increase our faith a little bit, it'll make a tremendous impact. A little bit of faith goes a long way. James said, pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from, his wor- unspotted from the world. This verse, to me, screams the little things. 
You know, as I mentioned before, we want to we want to talk about revelation and all the Greek and Hebrew and what are the meanings of those words and debate all the obscure things in the Bibles that we have a verse here or there about. And we want to understand everything about it. God said, go visit the people that don't have anybody. You want a pure religion? Go visit the the fatherless. Go visit widows and orphans and focus on not being worldly. You want a pure religion? Do those things. There's a time and a place to talk about revelation and study it. But if you want to talk about things that matter on a daily basis, this is it. Go visit people that need visiting. Do the things you need to do to not be worldly and not fit into the world if you want a pure religion. It's little things that make all the difference in the world. It's not how much Bible we can memorize or how many verses we know or any of that stuff. If you do all the other things right, you're going to focus on that stuff too. None of these things obviously are bad that I'm talking about. I don't want to give the impression that I think those are bad, but I think it's a focus thing. It's a focus thing on little things that have a big impact with God. There's another parable in Matthew chapter 13 that he reads. It says, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all seeds, but when it is grown... It is the greatest among herbs and becometh a tree so that the birds of the air come and lodge in the branches thereof. Looked up some pictures of mustard seeds as well, and it's kind of too small to put on the PowerPoint, really, without zooming it in a lot. But just a little, little bitty seed. You know, you think about all the seeds you see in your life that come out of fruit and vegetables and all that kind of stuff. But that mustard seed is tiny, and he's equating it to here. This is a picture of a mustard tree, which I've never personally seen, but... That's a big, majestic tree. And that's what he's talking about, faith. You know, faith that, that ends up like that. Seeds, seeds that seem so tiny and insignificant. And then they grow up to be something that, that nobody views as insignificant. It's just big, majestic tree that everybody, everybody likes, that, that the birds of the air end up using for their home. And it has such a big impact. Something that impresses everybody. When I was younger, we went to visit my grandparents in northeastern Oklahoma on a family vacation one summer. And my granddad, uh, and I don't even know the backstory on why he had this, but he had, a, he had a little bitty maple tree in a Folgers coffee can that he sent home with us. I don't know if he'd got them locally or what, but he sent that home with us. And, you know, you don't think anything of it at the time, but mom and dad planted that in the backyard. And by the time I was in college or a young adult, that was a huge maple tree in an area of the world where maple trees don't even do very good. And I think sometimes that we think um, about matters of faith too insignificantly. We think, oh, it's just a little tree in a coffee can. And because of the instant gratification and the way society views instant gratification and we want everything now, we don't think down the road. We're not looking down the road. And we think that way about our faith. And if we would understand the impact a little seed of faith could have, and maybe it is 10 years away, the result of that. But that doesn't make make it insignificant. Because 10 years from now, the little seed of faith might be a mighty tree that has deep roots that are hard to disturb, that are hard to get rid of. You ever had a tree that was more of a pest to you? We also had an apple tree at that same house where we had a maple tree. And that thing dropped apples every year that were never any good to eat and were horrible to walk on. And Jason and I spent every summer for many years picking up or hitting or whatever we decided to do with rotten apples. 
And mom and dad finally cut that thing down at some point, and it's just a pain to get rid of. It had deep roots. It had a huge stump. All because of a little bitty seed that was planted. Don't let instant gratification or the lack of instant gratification determine how you view a little decision that you make in your life, especially when it comes to matters of faith. He talks about a mustard seed again a few chapters later. You remember, might remember the story where the disciples, um, there was a child that had epilepsy, and the child's father came to the disciples wanting them to help with that, and it's referred to there as a demon. And so the disciples basically tried to get rid of the demon and didn't do it. And Jesus came along and, and did take care of it. And the disciples asked him, you know, what was the deal? Why were we not able to do it? He said, it was your faith. It was a faith problem. If you would have had the faith of a grain of mustard seed, you could look at this mountain and say, be moved, mountain. Throw the mountain into the ocean or whatever. And we read that many times, and I have to admit, I've had that discussion in my own head many times, like, can I really move a mountain? If my faith is really strong enough, can I move a mountain? And i got to be honest, I don't know the answer to that. You know, and I suppose there's no way to prove that. I haven't yet to see anybody do it. But does that mean the faith's not there? You know, it's a hard concept to grasp. The, the human side of it says, you can't move a mountain. Jesus said, you can move mountains. And I don't think he really ultimately cares if you can move a physical mountain. But I think he cares if you can move a spiritual mountain. And I think if your faith is as big as a grain of mustard seed, you can move spiritual mountains. And I think we see it from this widow who gave everything. Watch your thoughts because they're going to become words that you say. And then those words that you say are going to become actions that you take. And then those actions that you take are going to become habits in your life, daily habits, things you do regularly. And then those habits that you make in your life, people are going to start knowing you for those things, and that's going to become your character. And ultimately, whatever character you build is going to decide where you spend eternity. And I think we don't think about that enough on a daily basis. That one little thought could determine where I spend eternity. And it's to me, it's very sobering. I think about our preacher from our example we read this morning. And how that must have hit him hard to think that he, you know, not only as a man of God, but that's his job. <laughs> is to bring other people to Christ. And he about blew it over a quarter. Watch those things. As we close this morning, I want to think about the parable of the talents. You know, you think about the men that were given money by their master in that scenario and expected to deal with that money that they were given. And they were given the different amounts, and the first two, you know, took that and turned it into to more. And then the one guy that had the one talent took it, and he was scared. It says the master was hard. He knew his master was demanding, and he took that talent, and he hid it in the earth. And he was called wicked and slothful because of that. But the two guys that dealt with it well, you remember what he said to them? Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. And that's how things work. Little decisions turn into big decisions. You might, you might have heard people say that before. You know, how you are with a, you know, they talk about people winning the lottery. Right? All, whatever percentage of people that win the lottery ultimately blow it. And, you know, it's inconceivable. They win hundreds of millions of dollars, and three years later, they have none of it. And we can't conceive it. Well, it's because of how they were before they won the big money. 
They blew through every dollar they had. They didn't save. They didn't put anything back. They were stupid with their spending. They bought foolish things. So when they get $100 million, they just buy way more expensive foolish things. You know, speedboats turn into yachts and trailer houses turn into mansions and multiple homes and whatever. And they end up can't afford it. And they're wasteful. And he said that. How you are with, with a few things is going to determine how you can deal with many things. And if you're faithful over a few things, I'll make you ruler over many things. That's how God views the little things in life. That's how he views the little thoughts we have and the little decisions we have. And that's how he views us as people. We're not little people. He values human life and understands the impact it has on the church. Understands the impact that every single person has on the church. Doesn't care about the categorizations. If we think we're important or we think we're a good song leader or preacher or whatever. People have roles. That's all it is. It doesn't make them better. They have roles to fulfill. But the result of all that is far greater than the individual roles. There are no little things with God. I hope you understand that this morning. I hope you've been benefited by the lesson of the morning. If there's anything the church can help you with or do for you, you have any need that the church can assist you with, we offer the Lord's invitation if you need to obey the gospel and been taught and understand what that means, the invitation is for you as well. If you would, have a seat on the front as we sing this invitation song.